0: Good morning, Fairhill Church. All right. If kids want to head off, they can do that now. Off we go. All right, so uh, we are continuing in the book of Mark, learning how we can follow the King, and today we are looking at the, the third and final prediction of Jesus, paving the way and anticipating uh, the cross that is before him. Now as I, as I consider this, uh, this subject, I started to feel like, okay, we've heard this before. Why do we need three predictions of the death? I, I feel like I'm constantly telling you guys to, to pick up your crosses and suffer and to die. And uh, we wondered, why do we need to hear this again? And I realized that I, I was pretty hard-hearted about that because I was ins- assuming that I didn't need to hear the message again as if I were actually doing it. As if I had actually heard the word and was... And was preparing myself to take up my cross and to serve and to to suffer for his sake and realizing, uh, no, I'm just as hard-hearted as these disciples are. And I remind us this morning that we are called not just to to watch the king, but to follow the king, to follow Jesus. And this is the path that Jesus walked. He walked the, the path to the cross. And he's calling his people to follow him. And there is no other path. There's there's one path to joy. There's one path to to glory, and that is following our Savior to the cross. And that should shape our our whole lives. That should shape our our every step, our decisions on a day-to-day basis. Am I walking the path of Christ right here in this moment? Am I walking it or not? And so we hear it a third time. We need to be reminded. So we're going to see three things today. We're going to see the the prediction of death. We're going to see the the presumption of glory and the path to greatness. All right, they They all start with P, so if that helps you remember, it probably won't. But prediction, presumption, and path. Let's read Mark 10, verse 32 through 45. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The sons of Zebedee came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want for you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not for me to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the, the path that he walked ahead of us. And Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the path that we are called to walk as well. Father, we need an abundance of strength. We need an abundance of faith and of, of dif- discipline and obedience. But Father, we ask that you would just uh, pour your Holy Spirit upon us that we may walk this path and we may receive it and Father, that we may pursue greatness to your glory. Father, would you help us? Would you be with us now? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so first, the prediction of death. Now, as Jesus is getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, we can feel that the tension beginning to build. We're now taking the the various footsteps that are making true all of these predictions that Jesus has made so far. Each step taking him to that Final destination. Verse 32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Disciples, they were amazed, they were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. All right, Jesus is leading the way to Jerusalem. And you can feel that he's kind of he's dead set on it. His, his eyes are fixed on Jerusalem, on the task before him. I think of uh, Washington crossing the Delaware his, his eye is just fixed, and that is Jesus Christ. He is, he is determined. He is leading the way to Jerusalem. That step by step. He has gone through the wilderness. He has gone over the Jordan. And they're now at the foothills of Jerusalem looking up and saying, okay, that's, that's where we're headed. And they're making their way up. And just for a little bit of context, uh, we'll have one stop in Jericho, but beyond this all of the rest of mark will be happened in Jerusalem in the city this is kind of the the last hurrah before the the close of mark the disciples they are they are shocked they are amazed all right they should not be either neither shocked nor amazed they should know exactly this was going to happen but it seems like they're it hasn't gotten through their heads this is, this is actually where we are headed and now that it's come upon them, they realize that they didn't really think it would happen to them. They didn't think they were really going to end up in Jerusalem, even now as they're, they're heading up the mountain. Now the people, the, the followers, they're afraid. Because they know who is in power in Jerusalem. This is the religious leaders. This is the ones who, who hate Jesus and do not want to see him reigning, and so they are afraid. And so he tells his disciples once again, he took them aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later he will rise. All right, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He knows exactly what is going to happen to him. First, he's going to be handed over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him. All right, we have to, like, let, let that sit a little bit. That these, are the, these are the religious leaders, the chief priests, the ones who stand before God and minister to him, the religious experts in the law who know what the law requires And how demanding it is that they would be the ones to condemn him. But so that they don't get their hands dirty, they will then hand him over to the Gentiles. For mocking and flogging that they might kill him. I remind you also that this is, this is what? This is the son of man. This is the one who is in all glory. Who who rides upon the clouds, who Commands the heavens, who is Lord of Lords. And here he is headed to his death. And that's where, okay, he's taking his steps to Jerusalem, but all of his life he has been taking steps towards Jerusalem. His incarnation, when he took on flesh, he did that so that he might walk to the cross as a human, as a sacrifice. His birth, he was born under the law. Born under weakness and death, born under misery and humiliation, so that he might walk this path. He was trained up and he matured as a child, learning the scriptures and o- obeying his earthly parents, even though he is God. He suffered the temptation from Satan for us who are constantly tempted. He alone is victorious. All of his teachings are leading up to this. All of his miracles are pointing that he is the true one who who will serve us and will fulfill the law. All of his predictions are pointed here. All right. Recognize this this is the humiliation of the son of glory. That his whole life step after step after step, he is dying until he reaches the cross where he will die once and for all. all right. That is the path of Jesus. That is the path that he walked. And that is the path that he's walking now and he's telling his disciples exactly what is going to happen. All right. The Son of Man, the humiliation of the cross, Now then, three days later, three days later, he will rise. He will be resurrected from the dead, and he will be declared victorious over all. He, is, he will be the resurrected in glory. He will be vindicated from all of the charges. All right, He will slap the silly, smug faces of the Pharisees, prove them wrong once and for all, and he will be openly declared righteous. And all the blasphemy will be wiped away. He will be seen that he is the king, that he will reign forever, that he is victorious over sin and death. In the words of Philippians 2, 8 through 11, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him The name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the path. This is the path of humiliation and resurrection and glory. That is the only path to glory. That is the only path to greatness. And Jesus Christ, he walked it. His whole life centered around that path, humiliation to glory. Now, do we believe that first? Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus walked that path? Now that is a start, and we can say, you know, amen, thank you Jesus for walking that path. Thank you for going to to the death that I deserved. Thank you for humiliating yourself and resurrecting in glory. Now, we can say that, and I wish, I wish that we could stop at that. And I can say, you know what, like, believe that Jesus did that for you. Amen. Praise Jesus. He's the greatest. All right, but Mark does not let me stop there. Mark does not let me stop there. In all of these predictions, he doesn't let us stop there. And we realize that, no, we don't just get to watch him we are called to follow him. That that is the path that Jesus set out for us to follow. And his disciples, because they are bumbling around and failing to understand that, every single prediction is then met with a rebuke towards his disciples because their hearts are not, are not there. They don't see that they really need to follow as much as they might intellectually assent to it. No, they they don't get it yet. And so, with that, uh, we see James and John, the sons of Zebedee. All right, these guys are kind of fun. Uh, They have a nickname, the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder because they, uh, well, mostly because uh, there's this time where the Samaritans aren't very hospitable to Jesus. And what do they ask him? They say, you know, uh, Lord, shall we rain down fire upon them? He says no, uh, but they, they, they get this nickname for it. Uh, so they're known for that, and they're known for, for this conversation with Jesus, uh, their presumption of glory and of greatness. They presume that they can just ask for it. Verse 35, all right. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, what do you want to do for us whatever we ask? And what do you want me to do for you? He asked them. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and one of us sit at your left in your glory. All right. Think of the context here. They just heard about the path that Jesus will take. A path of suffering and humiliation and deliberately choosing to go die and only then to be resurrected in glory. And after all of that, after hearing the path, they decide that this is the right question. And this is their great path to glory. They're going to make that that path too. But uh, they decided the best way to do this is instead to call dibs. They will call dibs on the greatest seats in heaven while they're here right now. uh, They call shotgun. That's their great plan. That's what they've heard. That, you know, we we better get our, our foot in the door now. Now, before we condemn them, uh, we commend them. This is, this is actually a really good desire. And I think that, that even in that, there, there's a rebuke for us that James and John, they, they actually thought about the kingdom long enough to think, you know what, where's my place in this kingdom? And they believed in the kingdom and they thought, well, we, we want to have a, a great place in that kingdom. We want greatness, not in the world. We want greatness in the kingdom of glory. And that desire isn't bad. In fact, it, it's, it's not that that gets them uh, any rebuke. And I think for us, we have to recognize that there is a problem in the church. And there's a problem with our own hearts that there's a lack of ambition in the church that we don't often think about our greatness according to the kingdom of heaven. And oftentimes, we, we talk more like, well, like, you know, I I just want a place there. I just I just want to get a, as long as I'm the, the worst person in heaven, I'll be content. All right. That's actually a really bad attitude. Because what does it reflect? It reflects that, like, it doesn't really matter. And as long as I'm happy and content, then, you know, I'll, as long as I make it to heaven, when the question is no, like, when you get there, will you, will you have glorified God? Will you have delighted this one who, who died for you? Will you have pursued his glory and his honor? Will you be great, or did you treat this like, a, like it didn't matter? We should have this desire, not for ourselves, but for the, for the glory of the God that stands before us. That we would look back on our lives and say, you know, yes, I, I glorified your name. And that these riches that I hold now, this greatness of the position that I hold, it's a reflection of the glory of my God. All right, do we care about that? Do we care about our standing in the kingdom of God? That's important. Now, the problem is is not that they have this ambition. The problem is the path that they want to take. That after hearing this humiliation of Jesus, they think, you know what? Well, we can just sidestep all that. We can sidestep the suffering. We can sidestep the humiliation. And we can go straight for glory. Straight for glory and greatness. And we know that 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 is our heart. That is our heart to sidestep all of this and just go straight to greatness and glory. That was the temptation that Satan gave to Jesus. He said, you know, bow down to me. I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world. Now, Jesus was going to get the kingdoms of the world. And Satan was saying, you know, I'll give you a shortcut. Without all the humiliation, without all the suffering, without the death, you can go straight there. That wasn't the path that was set out for him. And yet, oftentimes, like James and John, they want the shortcut. And you and I, uh, we want the shortcut. Now, what is this usually reflected in? Uh, We often talk about this. Well, we don't talk about this. We don't talk about greatness in the kingdom of God. Um, Instead, we talk about grace. Grace. Now, grace is super important. Please don't, please don't say that I'm bragging I'm on grace. All right. Grace is absolutely essential. We talked about this two weeks ago. How do you get into the kingdom of God? How do you enter the kingdom of God like children who have done absolutely nothing, who have earned absolutely nothing, who have nothing to show for yourself except sin and death, and you've traded that all to Jesus, and he has gifted you freely by grace entrance into his kingdom. You do that by simply believing, not by anything that you have done. You do that by the free gift of Christ. All right. That must be absolutely clear. But this is not a question of entering the kingdom of heaven, this is a question of greatness. Will you be great in the kingdom of God? And that, that is not something that is vicariously given to you in Christ. I think we often think it it is. And we think, oh yeah, I'll just just have whatever Jesus has and he'll he'll give it to me. That's not how we talk about it. That's not how Jesus talks about it here. He says that, you know, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be because you you did incredibly costly things that are incredibly valuable in the kingdom of God. That you you saw the glory of Jesus and you said, you know what, those are more important than my desires. Or you saw opportunities to, to glorify the name of God and willfully took on suffering to do that. That you traded your kingdom for the kingdom of God and his glory. And that, that that results in greatness in the kingdom of God. That's what we're saying. That there really is a dynamic there. All right. And wh- why is it valuable? It's valuable because it it shows your 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 love for God as compared to all the love for other things. It shows that the most valuable things to you are, are God and his glory and not yourself and your comforts. There's a reason that this is, a, this is so beautiful in the kingdom of God and why those who pursue it are lifted up. All right, an illustration here. Uh, you'll, you'll recognize this, uh, some of you, because I was talking to you about this. Um, all right, youth soccer leagues. Youth soccer leagues. Uh, all right, so the little, little guys. When they, play, when, when they play in their soccer competitions, there's no competition. All right, what is it about? It's about having fun. You go out there and have fun. Everyone makes a team, everyone plays, and how do they reinforce that it's all just about fun? There's no score. There's no score. And so, and so they constantly have to say this because the little kids, they run back to their mom and say, you know, we're winning three to two. And then everyone says, no, no, no score. This isn't competitive. We're just here to have fun. And the coach is constantly saying that. And yet all the parents are reminding their kids, you know, no, no. Uh, all right. We think that that's the church. We think that that's the church. And we think that, like, we're like, hey, I want to do great things for Jesus. And if someone comes and says, no, there's no scores. There's no scores. There's no differences. Jesus just says, you know, just be in the kingdom and have fun. All right. That is the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. All right, what Jesus is saying here, Jesus is saying this: this is the big leagues. The, the scores do matter. The things you do in your life they matter. In fact, this is the only game that matters. All those other things they, they pass away. But you and your your pursuit of the glory of God that. That lasts forever. That is eternal ramifications. That to the extent that we do that, we receive eternal riches. That God has glorified for all eternity. All right. There is real greatness to pursue. There is real greatness. And so what does Jesus say? He said he responds to their question and he says, okay, verse 38. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? All right, he's flexing a little bit. Um, But he's giving them the the path. Can you drink the cup I drink? What is the cup that Jesus drinks? He drinks the cup of God's wrath. That God has stored up all of the wrath and judgment that he will righteously in anger pour down upon the nations and Jesus Christ he drinks that cup that as a servant of, the, of those who put their faith in him he will take that cup for them and he'll drink it to the very last drop he'll drink it to its dregs and, and there'll be nothing left, left in the cup of wrath for those who have trusted in Christ he serves them in taking all of their suffering and all of their death all of the wrath of God we be baptized with a baptism. I am baptized with. Jesus takes this picture of, of, of ritual washing. And he says, you know, it's it's more than that. It's it's going down to death. I will take the death of my people, I'll take the death of those who believe in me. I will serve them with my vicarious death for them. Suffering and death for the sake of others. Now Jesus is asking, you know, can you do that? Can you do that? And how, what do they answer? They say, you know, we can. We are able. We are able to do that. Now, at this point, what I expect Jesus to say is, no, you can't. No, you can't. I did it vicariously for you. This is all a trick. It was a trick, and you're supposed to say, no, we can't. Jesus has to do it for us. It's all by grace. And the only thing that we can do is watch Jesus do it for us. All right. Jesus does not say that. We think Jesus should say that. But that's because we don't understand. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says, what does he say to them? He says, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. He says, yes, you're right. You can and you will drink that cup. You will be baptized with it. You will take on suffering and death. And the disciples, they did. Every single one of them is recorded to have suffered immensely for the sake of Christ. And all of them, all of them are, or all but one is recorded historically to have been martyred for his sake. All right, they take on suffering and death. But he he still says, verse 40. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. He says, yeah, I I know you you will suffer for my sake. But those positions in heaven, they're not just given because I said, yes, you can have them. It's because people have been prepared who will suffer more who will die more, who will be more faithful, who will deserve those spots. That God has prepared a life for them and and they will walk a life of such obedience that they will will receive those positions. It's not to be granted. Ephesians 2.10 These people will do a lifetime of good works which God prepared beforehand That they should walk in them. That is how those two positions will be filled. A lifetime, step by step, of walking this path of humiliation to glory. That day by day they choose to honor Christ and not themselves. That day by day they put the glory of Jesus above the glory of the world. That day by day they are walking to the cross. That is, that is, who has been prepared for those spots. All right. All right, so I say this. All right, to what extent are you sitting on the bench in the Christian life? Are you content to just sit there and, and wait for a kingdom and have abandoned this call of greatness and, and even said, you know, and it's good, it's good. I'm just living by grace. Instead of like, I want to maximize the glory of God while I am here. I want to walk this path. I want to take on suffering that I might see the the glory of God in the end. Right. Are you going for greatness in the kingdom of God? All right. That's convicting to me because I realize oftentimes, no, I'm not. And the answer is not, you know, okay, then just ask for more grace. No, the question, the, the thing is like, you no, know, like treasure his glory and and walk the path before you. Walk the path of suffering. And that's that's what he tells his disciples. All right, the path to greatness. The path to greatness, verse 41. All right, the ten heard about this and they became indignant with James and John. They're mad because they. They want to be great in the kingdom of God, too. And Jesus says, he says, okay, you want to be great? Uh, Here's the game. If you want to play the game, you can play the game. It's, It's a hard game. But this is the path that's set before you. If you want greatness in the kingdom of God, this is how you do it. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are guarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave to all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He doesn't say, don't pursue greatness. He says, all right, you want to pursue greatness, here is how you do it. You don't do it like the Gentiles, looking to to lord it over people, and gain your position so you can have authority and so you can tell people what to do. Uh, No. You become a slave and a servant. All right, I remind us of this because some of you are trying to be great in the kingdom of God, and you're trying to do it according to the world standards. You're trying to be important. You're trying to be known and seen that you want to have clout, you want to have power to, to say what you get to say and to, to make decisions. Or maybe you just want to, you want to know everything and you want to be put on this kind of pedestal. And you're thinking, okay, that, that's how I will be great in the kingdom. All right, you're bringing the kingdom of the world into the church. And that's not the path of greatness. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus says here. And it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus' life speaks to. He didn't walk the path of greatness that the world walks. He didn't, he didn't walk to his, uh, a throne and take his seat. He walked to the cross and was crucified. Now, what, what, is, what is the game? What is the path? The path is to serve. And not just be a servant, to be a slave. That we would see the world before us and we'd say, you know what? How can I serve the weak and the downtrodden? How can I serve the person next to me? How can I pursue their desires? How can I love them more than I love myself so that I dedicate myself to them and not to my own pursuits and my own pleasures and my own comforts? How can I die for them day by day by day? How can I suffer for the sake of Christ? How can I proclaim the name of Jesus even to to my detriment and to my suffering? All right, that that is the path. The foolishness of Christ evident in our lives, spilling out over everything, fully invested in the kingdom of God, that is the path to greatness. All right. It is Mother's Day. And because it's Mother's Day, we have to say this. Uh, First, mothers, you suffer a lot, so well done. There's greatness in the kingdom for you. Uh, But in in Matthew's version of the story, uh, it's fun because it's not James and John who actually talk to Jesus. Uh, They send someone in their stead they send their they send their mom to go talk to Jesus and say, you know, hey mom, mom, go ask him for the best seats in heaven. And he's like, and she does, she does. Okay, okay, sweeties, uh, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go get you the best seats in heaven. Um, all right, there's a good thing there. Mothers, parents, do you want your children to to find greatness in the kingdom of heaven? All right, if yes, if yes. Make sure you're setting them down the right path. Don't send them down the path of the world to greatness and power according to the Gentiles, to a life of, of wealth and freedom from worldly, worldly sufferings. All right, if you want that for your kids, you are preparing them for a life of suffering and death. That's what Jesus is saying. You know, are you sure you want greatness? Are you sure you want it? Because this is what it is. I remember when I said I wanted to be a pastor. To my mom, she's like, "No, you don't." <laughs> and like, are you? Do you want to have a horrible life? Like, and it wasn't because she's was coddling me. It's just that—that's the reality of what it was. And that's what Jesus is saying. And and that's what he's saying to to all of us. Are we going to choose to suffer? Are we going to choose to do the things that bring him glory and are are painful and difficult? Are we willing to walk this path? Are our eyes going to be constantly searching for, how can I serve? How can I become less than? How can I become a servant to all that I may glorify his name greatly in the kingdom of heaven? Are your eyes open to those things? Do you rejoice when you're given those opportunities? Do you delight in it knowing that by faith that that you will see greatness because of it? All right. uh, Objections. Some of you will not like this. And you don't like hearing this because you think it's legalistic and competitive and weird. It's supposed to all be about grace. And I don't like this. All right, Uh, first, first. All right, the fear that this is just going to make a bunch of Christians cutthroat and competitive and focused on the wrong things. All right, Jesus built a good system. He built a good system because those who are in it just for the glory, they won't be able to do it. Because the only way to get glory is to lose it. And so those who are obsessed with glory and idolize their glory and just want greatness for the sake of greatness, uh, they won't be able to do it. You can only do it if you have this right heart that just loves the greatness of Jesus and his glory far more. And then we're given all of these things by grace. It's a system that that has a a built-in fail-safe. So you cannot, you cannot, like, you can't work the system. All right, that's the wisdom of our Lord. And so you don't just say, oh, I'm going to be better than that person. Okay, then go serve them. Go serve them and die for them. And we'll see if you if you really love God or you love your own greatness and glory. All right, but the second thing, you think this is legalistic. All right. This is, this is amazing grace that is given to us. This is an amazing grace that is given to us. That you would even be considered for greatness in the kingdom of God, that is an amazing grace. We shouldn't even be in the kingdom of God. We shouldn't get to see it. We shouldn't get to touch it. We should never get to taste it. We should be outside because we are, we are sinners who do not deserve it. We have done nothing to deserve it. It's grace that we even get to talk about this. But it's also grace that Jesus would say that temporal, earthly suffering, this, this life that is vapor, can be invested into eternal riches for all eternity. And things that, that will never perish and will last forever. All right, it's amazing grace that we'd be offered this exchange that to, to give someone a glass of water in the name of Christ, that they'll never re- lose their reward. All right, if you, can you see the grace in that? I remind us that all right, the only reason we're in this whole system is because Jesus Christ, he went to an old Jerusalem. He went to that old Jerusalem. He set his eyes upon it. And he went to Golgotha. He went to the the center of self-righteousness and the center of judgment and the center, center of hypocrisy and, and was given over to them. All right, what stands before us now is the new Jerusalem. Where righteousness reigns, where the, the glory of our Father and the Son fill the city with their their light in all of their beauty and radiance and majesty. You have been gifted that by grace. That is a guarantee for you by faith alone. Right. And my question is, when you get there, when you get there, do you want to have glorified him well? Do you want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant? You wanted to say like here here are the things that you receive because you proclaimed my name because you you glorified me because you did the things I asked you to do you walk this path come come into glory Maybe you don't want to do that for your sake but for the sake of Jesus and his glory Let us walk that path Amen Father, I confess that, we confess that your glory can seem a small thing, and Father, we would too easily be content with lives of of little faith and little faithfulness and when Father, you have, you've poured out such grace and riches upon us and you've invited us into such a glorious inheritance and to, to such joy and such beauty and Father, we, a- we desperately ask for you to change our hearts. We are an apathetic, cold-hearted people and we see the path and we We even, in in an attempt of righteousness, we defend our, why we don't have to walk it. Father, would you change us? Would we long to see you glorified? Would we long to see you? And, Father, not be embarrassed when we see your glory that we didn't do more, but we would say that it was all worth it. Father, we know that you are worth it. We know that Jesus Christ is worth all glory and honor. Father, would you help us to, to walk the path before us? For your glory, we pray. In Christ's name.